I'm going to be talking about the devil in a minute, and I've, I've been moving, as you know, and if you don't believe in the devil, you've never moved. <laughs> but it's going to be another moving sermon this morning, because I, I was uh, moving all, all week, so um, we'll see, we'll see. You say, you should have had one of the staff preach. You're right, I should have. I, I wasn't thinking. I moved, did get moved up a week from when it was supposed to happen, the closing on our house. So anyway, we're excited about Sherry and I are. Um, there's something I want to talk to you about before I get in the word that I'm, I'm excited about and not excited about. And it has to do with Pastor Brandy Goddard. Uh Some of you already know, Brandy has uh, been um, working on her education for uh, quite a while. And she's finally gotten to the point that she can take the next step. And she feels like God is calling her into counseling, into professional counseling and uh, wants to get certified, and so she's going to be fin- finishing up her, um, what do you call that thing that you write when you graduate? Thesis. Yeah, thesis. She'll be writing her thesis this fall and uh, be working on her credentials as a licensed uh, uh, therapist. And so we're really happy for her. We're really happy for her, and we know this is the assignment she she feels that God has put in her life, and, and she's been with us uh, about 15 years, and been a great staff member. She's been, Amen. she's been awesome. Yes, she really has. She's a, she's a Swiss Army knife around here. <laughs> she's has done almost everything, and um, I could always. So she's always that person I could call at the last minute. So I just got this idea for my sermon, like Saturday morning, and could we have a table set up with this on it, and you know this object lesson? She would pull it together. Uh, so fast, and she's really creative like that, and been a great staff member. So she'll be here a few more weeks, so we will definitely plan a, a, an appropriate uh, goodbye to her. I'm she'll, she'll be back, I'm sure. She's, this will always be, as far as I'm concerned, her home. Um, I don't think she knows exactly where she's going to be doing her um, practical hours, Okay. So I wanted to let you know that, and I'm sure she'll appreciate your prayer. I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, I'm sure there's a certain amount of uncertainty. <laughs> so let's get into the Word today. <clears throat> Starting a new series, we, ju- we just finished a series on rediscovering God. So I, I suppose it's appropriate that we, that we discover the other side. There's a dark side. I don't think it's quite as important that you understand the dark side, but it's important if you only understand there's a, there's a, a true light, but also understand there's true darkness. So I'm calling this series Strategies, the Strategies of Satan. Today I want to talk to you about how Satan discourages us and brings us down. Now, I'm, I'm not going to spend, at least today, really trying to explain uh, why Satan why, why does God allow Satan to continue to terrorize the world and harass us? There, there, there's uh, some ideas in Scripture, and we have some ideas about why that is, uh, having to do with free will, the fall of man, the different things, uh, and, and very important. But uh, if you can kind of put that thought aside for a moment, a few moments today, let's get right into this being called the devil. C.S. Lewis said there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about the devil and demons. One is a disbelief in the devil and demons. The other is to believe in 
feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. That's really important that when we talk about the devil, that, uh, that you not get into the habit of everything's the devil. And you're, you're, if your battery's dead, it's not necessarily a dead battery demon. Uh, you know, maybe you just have a dead battery. So, uh, I, I, yes, you're laughing, but some of us have lived through a time in the church when people got very, very devil-obsessed and demon-obsessed. Everything was a demon. If you didn't sleep well, you had a demon of, a, of, a, of, of insomnia. If, if, if you're kind of putting on too many pounds, you have a demon of, uh, of obesity. Uh, I mean, really, there are groups that everything was a demon. There are groups that used to sit around with, you know, like barf bags like they give you with airlines. And uh, the, the goal was to throw up the demons that were harassing your life. I never went to any of those meetings, but I heard about them. And, but I, they happen, you know. There's no crazy like Christian crazy. <laughs> I'm telling you. Billy Graham said, The invisible spiritual conflict is waged around us incessantly and unremittingly. unremittingly. Where the Lord works, Satan forces hinder. Where angel beings carry out divine directives, the devils rage. The Bible, I was just amazed as I began to look through the Bible. I just didn't, I didn't realize the Bible had so much to say about Satan. It calls him by different names and the evil one and how many things he is responsible for. I can understand why people start to call everything a demon and everything the devil because he's really got his fingers into everything. He's got his fingers, in, he does have his fingers into your mechanical devices. He's got his fingers in your health. He's got his fingers in your, your, your psychology and your mental health. He's got his fingers in your money. He is, he is into everything. Anyway, see, he can, he can never be God. Uh, he knows that. He knows, the, the Bible says in one place that he knows he has only a short time left. He, he's never going to defeat God. He knows that. So his goal is, is not to defeat God. His goal is he's going to go to hell. He knows it. And his goal is to take you with him. That's his goal. <clears throat> the Bible has a lot to say about Satan. In Isaiah 14, he was Lucifer, son of the morning before the fall. In Ezekiel 14, he was a mighty angel guardian who had access to the mountain of God. In Luke 10, he fell from a sinless high estate. In 1 Chronicles 21, he inspired King David to do evil. In, first, uh, in Job chapter 2, he accused Job before God of only being faithful because Job had physical and material blessings. In 1 Peter 5, he is prowling around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In Zechariah 3, he is Satan the adversary. In Zechariah 3, he is also the accuser of the brethren. In Matthew 4, he is the tempter. In Matthew 12, he's the prince of the demons. In 1 Timothy 4, he inspires and spreads false ideas and doctrine. In Matthew 4, he perverts the word of God. In Luke 4, he's the slander. In John 13, he caused Judas to betray Christ. In Acts 5, he persuaded a couple in the church to lie about how sacrificially they were giving to the church. In 2 Corinthians 4, he binds people's 
minds to spiritual truth. In 1 Peter 5, he seeks to harm believers. In Ephesians 6, he heads a hierarchy of evil. In Ephesians 2, he is the spirit at work in those who refuse to obey God. In John 8, he was branded a liar and the father of lies. In John 8, he's called a murderer. In John 12, he's the prince of the world. In Luke 13, he blinds people physically and spiritually. Matthew 25, he's a fallen angel. Matthew 13, he sows weeds in the lives and communities of God's people. He, in Matthew 13, he snatches away the word of God from our hearts. In Matthew 13, he's also the enemy. In Matthew 13, he is the evil one. In Ephesians 6, he's de- he is defeated by believers who have their guard up and pray continually in the Spirit. In 1 Peter 5, he is overcome by faith. In Revelations 12, he's the deceiver. In Revelations 12, he's also the dragon. In Luke 22, Christ warns Simon Peter that Satan intended to crush him like wheat going through a mill. In Revelation 2, he controls a Jewish synagogue in Smyrna and throws Christians in jail. In John chapter 3, he's the father of lies and the father of liars. Matthew 25 is revealed that the world will know peace, not know peace, until he is chained and cast into hell. 2 Thessalonians 2 says the Antichrist will be energized by Satan to do the work of Satan and perform miracles by the power of Satan. 2 Chronicles chapter 2 is where I'm going to take my text today. It says, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, let me pause right there. What's he talking about? Who is he talking about? He's talking about a man in the Corinthian church. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man who was living a sexually immoral life. He was actually uh, having a physical and, and sexual relationship with his father's wife. Now, they, they practiced polygamy in that culture, so it, wasn't, it wasn't, uh, probably wasn't his mother, but it, one, one of his wives may have, been even a, uh, may, have been a, may have been a much younger woman because that happened too. Uh, but uh, but it got, Paul had written them in 1 Corinthians because they were not dealing with it as a church. And now in 2 Corinthians, they have dealt with it, but they're dealing with it too severely. They won't stop. You know, they got carried away with, with acting in a disciplined way toward this guy. So here's what Paul is addressing. He says, okay, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Back off. Stop hitting him. You know? <laughs> no, they weren't hitting him. I, I just... That's, that's metaphorical, right? The puni- now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not out with us. This is the part I want you to really get this morning, this part of the verse, that passage. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware, unaware of his schemes. Or if you're a, 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 an old King James reader, we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, you have an adversary. According to Scripture, and certainly according to my experience, to my, uh, my scientific experiments, I, we have an adversary that's intent on our complete annihilation. He comes to steal, 
to kill and to destroy. So think about this. When you are stressed out, it's not just life. Yeah, it's life. Life stresses you out. Natural life stresses you out. Natural life, it, it, the laws of gravity, all kinds of things. Yes, and there are problems with everything and, and uh, uh, machines and everything else. But there's something else going on. It's not just the bank you're having problems with. It's not just uh, the building department or the fire department you're having problems with. It's not just your internet provider you're having problems with. It's not just your marriage that you're having problems with. It's not just your employer that you're having problems with. It's not just, it's not just life. It's the hindering and harassing force of Satan. It's not, it's not just the other political party you're having trouble with. It's, the, according to Scripture, it's this being, this personality that is bent on your destruction and wants, you to, take, wants to take you to hell. So let's look, for, let's look at some different strategies today that he uses to take advantage of us and manipulate us. One is the strategy of thought and emotional control. Controlling our thoughts and our emotions. Um, worry. You know what it feels like to get that worry. Things are not going to work out. I'm not going to find a job. Uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to get COVID and, and die. Even though the, everybody not wearing their mask is a big mistake. And I'm going to die because, because of it. And, 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 you, and you can't stop your mind from feel a feeling of hopelessness, a feeling of despair, a feeling of discouragement, insecurity. God will do that for them, but not for me. God will take care of that family, but he won't take care of my family. God will bless them, but he's not going to bless me. And it, then it can create jealousy and all kinds of other bad emotion. Uh, you know, one of the lies he will tell you is this is whatever it is. Whatever it is, your, your, your job, your employment, your, your church, he can say, this is too good to be true. There's something off here. You've got to look around. You've got to dig around and ask a few questions. There's something. This place could not be that good. These people cannot be that good. There's something going on. I, I, I bet there's some power dynamics still going on here that need to be looked into. And you become the FBI. The Family Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> Suspicion, judgment, discontent, dissatisfaction. You think, you, you, you think it's just your mind wandering. According to Scripture, it's the prince of the power of the air that fills your mind with thoughts. False doctrine. Oh, Jesus could not be the only way to heaven. He's not the only way to Jesus is not coming back. People have been saying that for years. Satan is in the ministry of disinformation. General uh, Ian Pachepa was the highest ranking Soviet bloc intelligence officer ever to de defect to the West. From, uh, he, he, was, uh, worked, he was probably the closest associate to uh, Nikolai Ceausescu. And uh, they perfected the art of disinformation. One of, one, of the, one, of the, one of the great scandals they created was uh, Pope Pius XII uh, what was actually a great friend to the Jews during the Holocaust and was responsible to save many Jews from Hitler. 
but he also spoke out against communism, and this made, uh, uh, this made uh, uh, Nikita Khrushchev quite angry, and he didn't tolerate anyone being, speaking out against him. And so he decided to start a disinformation campaign against Pope Pius. And they got, a, they got a writer to write a book called Hitler's Pope, and they created a whole story. that They, even cre- they created a play... I can't remember the name of it right now, but uh, the, the, the deputy, that deputy, that's what it was, that, that played during the, um, I guess that would have been during the 19, late 50s, 60s, a play when Oliver, including, I think it was in Broadway, uh, called The Deputy, and it was a whole story about Pope Pius being in league with Hitler. And it was all a lie. It was all a total lie, but the press bought it, uh, press all over the world bought the story that he was Hitler's Pope. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, I mentioned Eddie Bernays last Sunday, who's a uh, 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 famous uh, uh, nephew of Sigmund Freud, and he took Freud's ideas and applied them to mass marketing, and he, he b- began to manipulate the minds of the American people. And one of his most famous, of course, as I showed you last week, he, uh, the, the, the tobacco companies hired him because they were upset that half the population wasn't smoking. And so the, the women uh, of the, the nation weren't smoking, of course, because it was not considered feminine. But, uh, and so uh, they hired Eddie Bernays, and he, 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 investigated, he got together with psychotherapists, and they discovered that uh, the cigarettes were a symbol of male sexuality. So they had to convince women that if women were going to be free, they had to smoke. And he actually got a bunch of debutantes to march in the Easter Day Parade in 19-whenever, and uh, they all had cigarettes underneath their clothing. And he told them, on a, on a given command, I want you to light up. And he told all the newspapers all over the country that, there was, that this was going to happen. And, and he manipulated, it just manipulated the whole thing. And when they lit up, he told them, when the press asks you what you're doing, say, these are torches of liberty. That's disinformation. That's exactly how Satan plays with you and gives things to me. Now, let me tell you something, though. Satan doesn't need the Soviet Union or Eddie Bernays. He's quite capable of filling your head with lies about anything and everything. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That was a long time before the Soviet Union or Eddie Bernays. That was way back in the first century. People were believing lies and they were filling their head with bad information. And Paul says, we deal with this bad information. See, here's what was happening at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, here's this guy who's having this illicit relationship, right? And the Corinthians thought, the thought that would fill their minds, because they wouldn't deal with this in the church. This was happening right in the, you know, it was happening in the community of this guy coming to the church. And um, they wouldn't talk to him, they wouldn't deal with him, they wouldn't rebuke him, they wouldn't excommunicate him. Because they were thinking, and, and they were thinking, we are, we're a really cool progressive church. That's exactly what they were thinking. And, and in fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 2, a man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? So here they were in, in, 1, Corinthians 5, in 1 Corinthians, they were the proud progressive church. But 
you know, the, the, the Bible says we have the ministry of re- reconciliation. Then the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, finally they said, they got Paul's message. They said, okay, Paul, you're right. And they excommunicate the guy. They kick him out of the church. And the guy repents. And he says, I'll stop. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I wasn't pleasing the guy. Then the Corinth became the, you know, they became the most sinless and godly church in the world. They became self-righteous, holier than thou. You know what Solomon wrote? This is actually in the Bible. Solomon wrote, we're not to be overly righteous. They got overly righteous. And they wouldn't stop punishing the guy for his sin. The Bible says we have the ministry of reconciliation. Satan, just, he just wants to control your thoughts and perceptions. So you're, listen to me. So you're cooperating in the conspiracy to annihilate and destroy people. Because people are the image of God. He doesn't care which way you do it. As a most holier than thou or a most progressive than thou. He doesn't care which way you do it. Just so he can get you to cooperate with him in in destroying people's lives. And you can destroy people's lives with sin and sensuality. Or you can destroy people's lives with judgment and harshness. The Bible says we have the ministry of reconciliation. You know? Why, why is tearing people down so bad? Well, you know, today political activists are going around, or they were a few months ago, tearing down images. You know why they tear down an image? Because they can't get to the person. So they tear down the image of the person. The person is long gone. The person is somewhere in history. And so they tear down the image. They can't tear. That's exactly what the devil does when he goes after you. He doesn't care... At, he, he doesn't care which way you go, but he wants to destroy the image of God. When he sees you or that person that you won't forgive, when he sees them, he sees the image of God. He, when Satan looks at you, he sees, he, sees the, the, he sees the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit because you have a tripart nature, spirit, soul, and body, and he sees you are the image of God. I don't, I don't know if you ever threw darts at anyone's picture before. But that's what we used to do back in my day. If somebody annoyed you, you put, the, put their picture at the bullseye on your dartboard and you threw darts at their image because you, you, maybe you had enough self-control that you wouldn't throw darts at them. <clears throat> Our adversary will work both sides of the political aisle. Believe me. See... You have, uh, researchers tell us that we have a bifurcated brain. Left, right. The left side of your brain is busy managing information for routine tasks at hand and draws information from the past. The left side of your brain doesn't really like new information. The right side of your brain loves new information and is always looking for the, to get into the unknown. The right side of your brain is more open to new ideas. The left side of your brain says, no, we don't want any new ideas. We just want to know how to get up in the morning, brush our teeth, take out the trash, make the coffee, drive to work. The left side of your brain is the administrator of your life. The right side is the creative, hey, whatever side of your life. Satan 
works with both sides of your brain. He will make you a stuck traditionalist or he will make you a wild progressive. He doesn't care. He just wants you hurting people. And he wants to hurt you. And if you don't, you know, I, politics is fine. It has its place. It has its place for Christians to be involved. Our politics should be confirmed, should be informed by Scripture. But listen, when we're, we're on a whole other plane from politics. This, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not of this world. We're on a whole different plane. We're dealing with a whole different set, set of, uh, of, of uh, a whole different structure. A whole different plausibility structure is what, where we're at. And, and if you will figure that out, you'll quit getting sucked into everything that, that's just fighting and, and, and can't quit fighting. Because remember, just remember this, even though I don't uh, be, what, be on whatever side you want to be on, and I certainly have positions politically. Believe me, I do. But what's more important is, what's more important is am I winning the real war? And the real war is between God and Satan, not the Republican or the Democratic Party. The key, stop thinking apart from God. When we think, that, when we think with God, it's dynamic, and we're always moving with the situation. We're never stuck. The Corinthians were always stuck in whatever idea they got caught up in. God doesn't just give you an idea and go with it. We know we're children of God because we're led by the Spirit of God. And we live not by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I want to, every minute of the day, as much as I can, be listening to what God is saying. And, And today God might be saying, don't talk to them. And then tomorrow God might say, call them and go spend time with them. The Bible says we know we're children of God because we're led by the Spirit of God. We're not led by an idea. And, and you know you're becoming an instrument of the underworld when you get stuck with an idea. I don't like them. I don't like them. And you, tomorrow you don't like them. And the, the next day you don't like them even more. Well, have you talked to God about them? What difference does it make what you want? Who do you serve? You serve God. He is your Lord. He is your master. He knows what's best. Now, there's, there are two beings in the universe that are smarter than you. God and the devil. They're both smarter than you. And if you follow one voice, it's the voice of darkness, and the other is the voice of light. How many of you want to follow the voice of light in this house? Amen? The strategy, let's talk about another strategy. Let's move on to another strategy. The strategy of using the people closest to you. Matthew 16, 23. And it, you really need to read that whole chapter because... Uh, Simon Peter has just said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Obviously, God, Jesus loves Simon Peter. But then Jesus starts to share with them that he was going to go to the cross and he had to suffer. Excuse me. And the Bible says, imagine this. You're a fisherman. Just think about this a minute. You're, you're a fisherman. And this person that you've been following around, you are convinced is the Son of God, the creator of all matter and all human beings. And you have the audacity to pull him aside. You know, they were outdoors, probably come behind the tree or something. Uh, Peter took him aside, rebuked him. 
Now that, that's chutzpah. <laughs> never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Isn't that interesting? Jesus knew he was dealing with the other world. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, was Simon Peter a bad guy? He, Jesus didn't say, you're, you're demonic. He wasn't demonic. He was a good guy. He was guided, like all of us. He was guided by compassion and caring. He was guided by, uh, by uh, goals. He was guided by self-interest, though. Like all of us, we have a part of us humanly compassionate. We don't want to see our friend hurt. But he was also guided by self-interest. And so he tells Jesus, no, you're, you're not going to cross. And Jesus identified where this was coming from, where this message is. Because it's, it's actually what the human side of Jesus wanted to hear. And what is this telling us? This, this is telling us that Satan uses all of us. He uses all of us to be a mouthpiece to take others out of the will of God sometimes. And so, but Jesus, see the thing about Jesus is Jesus had such a well-defined self that he wasn't deterred and he understood, he knew, he knew how to separate himself from Simon Peter. And, and think, about, think about Job too. Job's, uh, Job went through all that he went through and he had lost everything and then he lost his health. He lost his children, his cattle, and uh, he didn't lose his wife, but she wasn't much help. And, and, and so, so Satan was in charge of this whole conspiracy against Job's life. And, 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 and guess what he engineered? To, to add insult to injury, he brought Job's three best friends to see him. <laughs> and his three best friends became instruments of judgment and condemnation and basically said in so many words, Job, all of this is your fault. You weren't a good enough guy. And they were literally making stuff up. I'm telling you, all of us can be instruments of Satan in drawing other people away from the will of God. And that's why every one of us in this room must get our relationship with God clear. And we must learn to we must be able to define ourselves apart from others. Part of the problem in Corinth was group group think. Did you notice that? They whatever they did, they all they all thought the like. It was all group think. There was no dissension. There was, there was nobody with a well-defined self enough except for Paul. Paul was the only one who defined himself well enough to think apart from them. And when you can't think apart, you should be able to think apart from anyone. Anyone in your life, you should be able to think apart from them and not feel it. Well, they feel that way. I have to feel that way. And, and that's one thing you have to guard against in friendship circles. Friendship circles are fantastic. You need them. But you must be able to think apart from your friends or you will not be able to stay in the will of God because God will never always agree with your friends. Somebody say amen. All right? <clears throat> Let's look at the other thing to happen, another strategy that Satan uses besides using people in our lives. There's a strategy of the shame setup. <clears throat> I call it the shame setup. <clears throat> and I watch this all the time. 
Revelation 12.10 says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night. Think of that for a minute. Think of that for a minute. When you have critical thoughts toward people, and sometimes they're, 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 they're well-founded. You have a reason to have a critical... I'm not saying you should never have a critical thought about anybody. But when you have those critical thoughts, that, that, that you start storytelling. You know what I mean? You start storytelling, and you, you really don't have the facts. You don't really know anything. You just think something may be a certain way. And uh, uh, be careful, because Satan stands... He goes... He goes to God every day and talks bad about you and talks smack about you and tells God that you don't deserve his love and you don't deserve his blessing. And then, then he comes to you and tells you you don't, tells you you don't deserve his blessings. You don't deserve God's love. You don't deserve God's redemption. Because this is what Revelation 12.10 says, For the accused of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night have been hurled down. They triumphed, him, triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the, their testimony. Now, now, what do I mean by the this, this shame setup? Well, here it is. Satan led this guy in 1 Corinthians 5 to begin to live this sexually immoral life. And he convinced the church he doesn't need to be forgiven. He's not, doing, he's not doing anything wrong. He doesn't need to be forgiven. And so Paul convinced him otherwise. So what happened? It was the perfect shame set up. Satan engineered a situation. And then Paul says you need to deal with him. And then they had originally said he doesn't need to be forgiven. And now they're saying he can't be forgiven. That's the shame set up. And we see it all over culture, don't we? Look at all the, all the men who have been exposed in the last two or three years for their uh, immorality, for, for their exploitation. Think of all of that. Now, see, the devil plays both sides. The devil got them to do that. And now he's, he takes the seat of judgment and says, shame on you for doing that. It's the shame set up. And he wants to do that to every one of you. And you've got to, if you're going to walk with God, you've got to get out of the shame setup. And you've got to get out of the shame cycle. And, and, and there's a, a great cure for the shame cycle. It's on, on, a, on, a, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. The emblem of suffering and shame where my Savior died to deliver you from the shame setup and the shame cycle. Amen? It's what God does for you. Tell the devil to shut up. He has no business. Tell him to shut up and get out. Resist the devil. Tell him to shut up and get out. He has no business talking to you about your morality. The final one is the strategy of unforgiveness and harsh judgment. 2 Corinthians 2.10 Anyone you forgive, Paul said, I forgive also. For what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that a root of bitterness can spring up within us and defile many. Forgiveness is not just for the person you're forgiving. Forgiveness is for the sake of many. Because if you become a bitter person, many people are going to go down with you. Satan is smarter than you are. He's several steps ahead of you. Paul, Paul could say we are not ignorant of Satan's strategies, but can you and I say we're not ignorant of Satan's strategies? 
Anger and harsh judgment are definitely some of his favorite tools to disrupt the will and purpose of God in the earth. I don't, I don't, like, I don't use the word judgmentalism very often because it has the word judgment in it and you need to maintain your judgment. Judgment is good. You need the ability to say something is wrong and something is right. Judgments. The Bible says, he that's spiritual judgeth all things. But that word judge there does not mean, does not mean to condemn. The word judge there means to, to scrutinize. It means to ask questions. It means to investigate. It, mean, it means to, to uh, consider. And, and, and there's, another, there's another Greek word. That word is, uh, is anacrino, and I can't remember the other one. The other Greek word, uh, for other times you see the word judge in the English, it means to conclude and condemn. And what, what, the, what the Corinthians were in danger was, uh, of doing was concluding and condemning. Ephesians 4.26 says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We're all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. We destroy people when we don't forgive them. And Satan is in the business of destroying people. He's in the business of deconstruction. He's the opposite of God. Everything in the Christian life requires community. And so we're, we're, everything we do is affects everybody. You know, it's the banana separated from the bunch that gets peeled, right? I love that line in that song a while ago that they sang, because you delight in showing mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Back in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had fasted and prayed for 21 days because he knew, he, he knew, I want you to hear this. He knew he was important to God and God's plan on the earth. So he fasted and prayed for 21 days over his nation and the world. Satan will love for you to think that you're not important and that God doesn't care what happens to you. It's one of his greatest strategies. God showed me this years ago, that people in the church who feel small and feel they don't matter do the most damage. People that feel they're insignificant do the most damage because they feel there's nothing to lose. Guard against feelings of insignificance. They make you dangerous because you will begin to feel that you've been so wronged you can do no wrong. And it's a very, very scary place to be when you feel you've been so wronged you can do no wrong. And so people who feel small and insignificant, and Satan wants you to feel small, Daniel believed he mattered. And, and, and this is just this one guy, isolated. He had been, he had been taken captive from Israel to Babylon and made to work for the king. And he was just one guy by himself. He didn't have a church congregation like this to be a part of anymore. He was isolated and alone. But Daniel, I love this. He looked up at God and said, God, I matter. I matter. And he fasted and prayed for 21 days and he didn't hear anything. It was as though God wasn't hearing him. 
when he prayed for 21 days. But Daniel on day one, day two, day three, day seven, day ten. David, Daniel said, I still matter. I've got to win the victory. I've got to pray through. I've got to, I've got to keep praying because I still, I matter. I, in fact, he, he acted like it was all his responsibility. He acted like he was really important. And he hung in there because he knew he could be a world changer. He knew there was a battle. And he knew he needed to take God's side on the battle. And he says in Daniel chapter 10, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind, this is the angel, the angel uh, Gabriel has arrived, right? Uh, Michael, I'm sorry, not Gabriel. Angel Michael, Michael's a warring angel. And, and by the way, Satan only took one-third of the angels with him, so there's more on our, our side than there are on his side. We're, we're in good shape, guys. <laughs> and, and then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. I, I, want, I want you to hear this today. I want you to hear me. That heaven is responding to you. You matter. You're important to God. What you're doing in the world matters. You can disrupt your, your family and the generations to come. You can destroy your family and the generations to come. Or you can create a godly legacy of healthy family and generations that will precede you. I want to tell you, and you matter in this church congregation. You can hurt this church. You can hurt this church. Or you can build this church. And, and the, the church is what Jesus came to build. You matter. You matter. You're terribly important. And I want every one of you to feel the weight of that right now. I want every one of you in this room to feel the weight of that and to understand that this is a spiritual battle that you must win. The stakes are high. Heaven's going to happen whether you go there or not. But I want you to go there. And I want your family to go there. Paul, uh, let me finish reading. But the prince, uh, uh, I humble, let me start in the beginning. Do not be afraid, Daniel. It's the first day you set your mind on gain understanding and humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. That's that spiritual warfare we're talking about. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come. Paul said in one place he wanted to go to Thessalonica, but the devil stopped him. Now some of you think you just need to speak to Satan. And he just... But if Paul could have done that, he would have done it. If he could have just spoke to Satan and he could have gone to Thessalonica, he would have done that. You can't always get the evil spirit or the thing that's blocking you to go away just because you say, I rebuke you. It's more complicated than that. If Paul couldn't do it, I don't think I'm going to be getting rid of Satan out of everything in the world just by going around saying, I bind you, Satan. I will talk more about that in weeks to come. Paul knew he couldn't just control Satan. The issue is that you're not... You know, a lot of you think you need to talk to the devil... But the issue is not that you're not spending enough time talking to the devil. The issue is you're not spending enough time talking to God. James said, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. People, stop resisting and hurting each other. And start resisting and hurting the prince of darkness, the devil. All right? Thank you.
let's stand. If it helps you to focus on what God is saying, I want to invite you to close your eyes. If not, you know, there's no magic in closing your eyes, but it says in 1 Corinthians that the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Amen. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Listen to this, but we have the mind of Christ. God, we are your kids. Whether we acknowledge it or not, you created us. You made us. Body, soul, and spirit, you gave us a mind to think. You gave, gave us emotions to feel. You gave us everything that we have. And Jesus, you came to this earth and you lived that experience. Every single thing that we go through, the Bible teaches us that you went through it. And God, you have given us, Jesus, when you left this earth, you left us the Holy Spirit, who is the one who teaches us the things of the Spirit deep within us. God, I pray that we would be a people who are daily making the practice of taking captive our thoughts and making them obedient to you, Jesus. God, I pray we would be people who don't allow our minds to just go from here to there, blown by the wind, but God, we would be constantly calling ourselves back to, are my thoughts obedient to Christ? Are, do my thoughts line up with what the Word teaches me? And God, we know that inevitably, when the Spirit has convinced us of your truth, our actions and the way we live our life is shocking to the world, counterintuitive, because it's like you, Jesus. We make our bodies a living sacrifice. We thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for all these people in this room, God. And as we turn our eyes toward you and our mind toward you, you begin to do amazing things in this house. And God, in that in that scripture as we keep reading I encourage you to keep reading it because as it goes on and it talks about your mind inevitably it starts talking to you about how you treat other people forgiving your enemies blessing people that curse you it's all the upside down kingdom of God that when we plug into his thinking the way he's going to lead us to think and then our actions come it doesn't make sense to other people it's counterintuitive but it works it's the, it's the kingdom of God's reality I thank you so much for coming in today, and I believe that God is doing huge things in this church. It's incredible to see all your faces and to see that we're, we're getting back, that we're getting back to normal. Um, you may be seated. This is the time where we're going to give you the chance to uh, give your tithes and your offerings and um, just make that uh, 
step of obedience, and maybe for you it's a, a big step of faith to do that for the first time, and we just want to encourage you that God is, um, He owns it all, and He will meet your needs and more. Um, so the, what, we, what we believe the Bible teaches us to give is a tenth of our income, and you're welcome to give more or less than that, whatever you feel that God is leading you to do. Um, you can do that in a variety of ways. There a, a, should be an envelope in the seat pocket in front of you if you have cash or check, and as you leave the room, there's going to be an usher with a bucket that you can drop in there, and, uh, but you can also go online and give in all the modern ways that we pay for stuff these days. Um, the instructions are up there on the screen. We just appreciate you so much.